Romans chapter 16. And I am going to start reading in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and according and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, brothers... It's not the first time Paul says, I appeal to you. It is it's Paul's way of kind of gaining attention and making everybody kind of wake up and go, okay, this is, this is a direct appeal. This is something coming to you that is supposed to create a sense of, okay, I, I'm either going to hear Paul and do this, or I'm going to ignore Paul. It's not as if we can just sort of hear a general teaching like we do this in our lives all the time, where you'll hear some type of general teaching, whether it's in, in the church, in the Bible, or just somewhere else, and you'll just kind of go, okay, well, I, you know, I can choose to believe it or not believe it. I can choose to kind of to, to learn it or to not learn it, right? It, the teacher says, okay, well, here's the equation you need to know in order to do well on your test. And you go, I choose not to remember that equation. You're going to not do well on your test. Right? You just ignored something that's pretty essential to what you're trying to learn. And so Paul, when he makes these kinds of direct appeals, it's as if... Um, anybody watch Charles Stanley on TV? Ever see him preach on TV? You know, like nobody wants to raise their hand. I think, I think yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, uh, he, he used to, I don't know if he still does it, and uh, I've probably even said this in a sermon before, but he used to, when I was a, a young Christian, and I would watch him uh, on television sometimes, and... He, he was trying to gain the attention of the crowd. And so there was a point in which he looked out and everybody had, you know, was falling asleep or, you know, which tends to happen when preachers preach. You know, I know which ones of you get extra rest on Sundays and which ones don't. I see it. Um, don't think you're hiding from me. But um, so Charles Stanley would be preaching and, and he would say, listen. And then sort of everybody would go, oh, pay attention. Every once in a while you guys notice I'll do like a big hand clap, just like a boom, like an explosion. And then all of a sudden, a couple of you go, what, wait, where, huh, what, you know? And you start looking around, and I can see which ones of you actually woke up, and which ones of you were just like, oh, I can see that coming. You know, you can see Steve was a little, uh, 
wondering if everybody was paying attention. There's, there's things that preachers will use to gain your attention. And Paul is trying to gain their attention by saying, I appeal to you. He could just say what he wants to say. But he's making an appeal to the brothers. And when he says to the brothers, he's meaning really to the whole church. But in a sense, he probably means brothers in, in, a, in a man way because the men are the leaders of the church in the sense that they're the ones who are going to be the teachers, the elders of the church. Uh, not that women can't be teachers, but you understand what I'm saying. There, there are those you need to watch out for. And so some of these men have been given the leadership position in the church as, as elders in order to help there to not be those who will come and attack the church. And that's exactly where he goes here. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So, so there are some who are going to try to create divisions. And, and, and let, me just, let me just say it this way, because I think that this is the way Paul can mean it as well. It is not just those who have an evil intent. Matter of fact, there are many who do not think that they're trying to do something bad, and they are doing something absolutely evil. Some of the greatest servants of Satan are the ones who think that they're doing something right. Some of the greatest servants of Satan are the ones who think that they are doing something for the sake of God and for righteousness and truth. When, when uh, Jesus encounters Satan a couple times in his ministry, right? You've got times when Jesus talks about Satan and you've got the demons and stuff like that. What's one of the last times he encounters Satan? In whom? In who? Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, who preaches in Acts chapter 2 and brings in thousands of the first converts to the church. Peter. Who's the one who says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, who says, I get it. You're the one. This is it. It's Peter, right? And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to go die. And Peter's like, uh, no, no, Jesus. I've got a better plan for you than Father God. I've got a better plan. That plan entails, you know power i'm going to create for you a pretty cool crown it's going to be awesome you're going to be draped in velvet it's going to be beautiful i can see it jesus says get behind me satan in other words i've i've been sent for a cross crown's coming right he will be seen with a crown when he comes riding in on a white horse <laughs> and brings devastation to his enemies. He will be that king, but the way he has become the king is by a crown of thorns. He comes into the world full of life and beauty and perfection without sin. And he's teaching and he's healing the sick and he's touching the lepers. And he's welcoming the children. And he's forgiving the sinners. 
in order to go to a cross because all of that doesn't do anything. You know, we're praying for, for Molly, for my wife, for healing. We're praying every day. We're, we're healing. God, heal my wife. And she's going through all of these problems. We want her to be healed. And God has already answered our prayer because one day she will be healed forevermore. The healing is already guaranteed. We don't question. It's not a 50% chance. We're, we're not meteorologists as Christians. We get it right. Thank you, AccuWeather, for your winter forecast. You were wrong. Okay? Sean came up from Florida, and we're like, Sean, man, they're forecasting the worst winter ever. There's going to be like 8,000 inches of snow. I mean, it's going to be awful. And he kept going, like, Where's, when's winter? You know? Snows, and when's winter? You mean that two-week period where it was kind of cold? And then it's been, what, in the 80s? We had like nine straight days of record temperatures. And then, ooh, we missed the next one by a couple degrees, and it's still going to be in the 70s this week. Sean thinks we're liars. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah, he agrees. <laughs> we're not liars. Other people were liars. We just bought into the lie, right? Okay, I actually have to get back to the text here. Here we go. Paul is making this appeal because there are some who want to deceive. There are some who are trying, and there are some who are simply doing the work, even though they think that they're doing something better. This is why we must be founded upon the gospel. Not, and hear me correctly now, because I'm going I'm to try to, I'm going to say something that's going to sound odd to some of you. We, we do not base who we are as Christians upon theology, meaning like theologians or a, a theolo theological work, we base it upon the gospel, the work of Christ, the great story of God, and we bring our theology out of the gospel. Right? Am I, am I right? The, if, we, if we somehow try to build a theology upon some type of philosophical godness, we're going to mess it up. But we have to remember that Jesus came with a crown of thorns. He came into a cross. And once we find ourselves humbled and broken by the way he comes with sacrifice, then we come into the world with sacrifice. And so I'm, I'm not trying to create some weird division because I, I did, you know, the, to say the gospel is to do theology. So I'm not trying to make it weird. I'm just saying that the, we can't approach these things wrong and, and, and misunderstand what we're doing. And the false teachers of whatever sort Paul's talking about here, these people who are causing divisions, the, 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 the people who create obstacles, whether they are intentionally meaning to create an obstacle or whether they're just doing that unknowingly. Because I've met both. And I've suffered at the hands of both, and some of you, a lot of you have as well. Whichever one it is, intentional or not, they are still doing these things. And let's keep reading to see if Paul gives us some hints here as to where he's going. I make this appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. That's, that's the first command, the first appeal. Watch out for these people, the ones who create or cause divisions and create obstacles. Divisions is to create disunity, to create parties, factions. 
There, there are factions in this church. There are in every church. There are certain people that you talk to. There are certain people that, that you kind of gossip to, that you have information sharing with. And you need to be really careful because if in any sense you are creating a faction, if in any sense you are causing a division, then you are doing something that Paul claims is wrong and we are in danger because of you. And I'm not saying it can be just you. It can be me, right? It can be all of us. So we're to watch out for those who cause divisions and who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And when we talk about the, the book of Romans, we talk about all this doctrine. It is theology, but it's all the theology that makes sure it's grounded in the theology of the gospel itself, the story itself of the gospel. And so... And so Paul says, it, you, you need to make sure, use that doctrine, use that understanding of the truth to know whether or not somebody is creating divisions. Because guess what? Divisions can also be created because of the gospel. Am I right? You'd better. Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does sword bring? It brings division, whether it's the division of your arm from your body, all right, or your head from your body. Thinking of a couple of different movies right now where heads are flying off of the body, right? Unfortunately, that's just so common for us. Um, so it can create that kind of division. There's a, there's a kind of sword that we talk about in Scripture that is uh, the one in, in Hebrews that divides. What does it divide in Hebrews? Say it again. Right? Spirit and the soul. It, it, it cuts deep into us. It's a surgical kind of thing that actually judges us. It judges who we are. It judges what we've done. There's that kind of sword. There's the armor of God. You have the sword. What is the sword and the armor of God? What's that? It is the word. It is the gospel itself. When, there's, there's a reason people don't want you to tell them about Jesus. It hurts. If you preach a gospel that does not hurt, you don't preach the gospel. It is painful. It doesn't mean you slap people around with it. God slaps people around with it. But he doesn't do that simply to shame them, even though it will shame some because they will not respond with faith. Then the gospel brings shame and it brings defensiveness and it brings anger and it brings wrath. The gospel also will bring the kind of pain that leads you to conviction, it leads you to repentance. And so when I say repent and believe in the gospel, and I say this every week, right, it comes out Throughout the service, the Lord's Supper, and all of this, we talk about what it means to repent, what it means to trust in Christ, to have faith in what he has done, and all of that. We know that there are some who have heard the word repent, and they know what it means, but they don't want to do it, because it hurts. And it hurts. We get it. But it's supposed to hurt. If we don't have pain, we, we can't be fixed in that sense. 
Um, I was talking with uh, someone yesterday, someone I met for the first time, and the woman is uh, seven months pregnant, and uh, immediately reminded me of my wife and how she had all four of our children without any medication, no epidural, no nothing. She didn't take aspirin, she didn't take Tylenol, and right now she just said the word ouch. I just saw her do it. Um, you know, uh, I think was it Elijah was 915 and a half, right, pounds? 915 and a half. They, the, the nurses were upset that they dried him off first in case he could have really been 10, but uh, that would have been more fun, right? And leave him a little wet, maybe he would have been heavier. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, you, you, you have pain. It's very painful, and she did that for a reason, not just so that everybody would think she was Hercules or something, but, you know, she, she did those for reasons. But, you know, in, in that pain comes something good, and in the pain that we experience, God does bring good. We find that out in Romans, right? We find out that God, through suffering, through pain, through hardship, through all of those things, that God brings what is good. We, we have to remember that. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So guess what? There's a kind of pain that will not do you good. And that is for those who do not trust in Christ. But Romans 8.28 says that for those who have been called according to his purpose, for those who are his or part of his family of a relationship with God and who calls him father, they are the ones for whom God works all things for good, no matter how painful they are. In Romans 16 and verse 17, Paul's making this appeal that there are those who are trying to do damage. Whether they intend to do damage or not, they are doing damage. They're causing divisions. They're creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And so Paul says, avoid them. There is a very healthy thing for every church to do, for, for, for all churches to do, is to have a clear exit sign and to sometimes force people to take. And it doesn't sound very loving to people. And it's not because you're a Christian that doesn't sound loving, but it's because you're something else. We, we want somehow to just sort of accept everybody. You know, we all kind of mock the coexist bumper sticker, right? Or diversity or whatever. It's kind of like everybody's okay. Nobody thinks everybody's okay. Nobody thinks everybody's okay. It is a lie that you think that everybody's okay. Because there are plenty of people in the world that you still hate their guts, no matter how much of a peacenik you are. <clears throat> and, and so you want justice. It's built into us. You don't want your kids mistreated. You don't want your friends mistreated. So you will defend so many but a part of the way that the church is the church and that Christians love people in the correct way is to avoid those who are creating obstacles and causing divisions. Now, as I said before, this could be like false teachers, like people who are some, some type of uh, known party of people who are trying to teach false doctrine. But I, I, I think, and some of the scholars believe as well, um, even though he doesn't say it specifically here, but remember where Paul has gone here at the end of Romans. He talks about two different groups of people. And I'm going to tell you the first one, and you'll know the second one if you don't remember. The first group is the strong, 
And the second group is the weak, okay? That made it pretty easy. That was a, that was a giveaway. So you, you have the strong and you have the weak. The strong, in, in the right sense of what Paul means by strong, are those who are um, strong in understanding what they are able to do, where freedoms in Christ are, when to give those up for the sake of those who are weak. The weak are those who have uh, enough truth to know Jesus, who have enough of the gospel to, to be saved, to be a part of the church, but who are very young Christians or immature and who don't know that if a meat is sacrificed to an idol and you eat it, it doesn't corrupt you. It feeds you. It's just food, and those idols don't exist, and God has overpowered all other powers, and therefore, it's okay. You can eat that. But the strong are to say, you know what? That meat is okay to eat, but if that's going to cause my brother or sister to stumble, I'm not going to eat it. And the strong are the ones who make decisions because the weak feel absolutely compelled that there's only one way to do it. The strong know better, but they don't necessarily live that way because they're mature. A lot of times the weak think that they're strong and in their weakness they've taken their weakness and made it into a lifestyle in which that weakness has now become this is right and that's the only thing that can be right. But the strong are to wisely help them along by not pushing them. And what can happen is, is and Paul's warning to the strong as we've seen in the last couple of chapters, is that the strong or those who at least appear strong, they will go and they'll just be like, Hey, we have the freedom to do it. If it causes them to stumble, that helps them. It helps them to, to, to destroy their faith. And so there needs to be a care that that is not what it really means to be strong. It's just, it's like in our society. It's like in our culture. Somehow uh, a machoism is seen as manhood. And it is not. I mean, men are to be strong. But it is what Jesus says, uh, meekness. Poverty in spirit. Like what? There's a whole movement of uh, younger pastors and, and in some networks and denominations and areas where, where there's this growing movement of sort of this new manhood. And, and I, I like it. I, I, I agree with uh, much of it. But they also go overboard at times. And so we all need to kind of watch ourselves and be careful that we don't just become a new kind of macho. Macho. Who uses the word macho anymore, right? Yeah, John Travolta, I think, was the last guy to use macho back in Saturday Night Fever. Um, did he use the word macho? I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time. Anyway, my, my point is we have to be careful that that kind of strength is not strength. True strength is to restrain something that you know is okay for yourself because you care so much about them. We're so concerned about the other that I will not do for myself. My concern is for the other. So he could be talking about false teachers here in the sense that we've seen false teachers elsewhere in the New Testament. Those who come along saying you need to, you know, live by the law and not just by grace. And so you have these sort of new, um, th this new sort of interbreeding of Judaism and Christianity where Jesus says, no, I fulfilled the law. You don't keep the law. You don't keep getting circumcised, you know, after, after Christ comes. The old things have passed away, new things have come, and so we realize those things have been fulfilled in Christ. And so we have here, is Paul talking about those false teachers, but he may simply be talking about the divisions that can come between the strong and the weak. Because that's exactly what he's been talking about. 
So the ones who could be causing divisions here are the ones who see themselves as strong in the faith. It's become a kind of a, a party in the Roman church for Paul. They, they think of themselves as we're the strong, so we hang out with the strong and we do what the strong do, and if everybody else stumbles because of it, we're the strong, we're the mature. God's about those who are mature, right? Don't we, shouldn't, doesn't God want us to be mature? So if we're mature, that's the right group to be a part of. And Paul's saying, it's not about that. It's not about that at all. You're to walk with the weak. And you are to avoid those who are bringing obstacles, right? What causes someone to stumble? That's what an obstacle does. It's exactly what Paul's been talking about when he talks about strong and weak. So it seems like that's where he could be going here, okay? So he says, he makes this appeal to avoid such people, and then he says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Isn't that interesting? When it talks about strong and weak, what are the strong doing? They're serving their own appetite. Both literally by eating that food sacrificed to an idol that's causing a brother or sister to stumble, but they're serving their own appetites metaphorically as well because they're about themselves and they're not about others. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so that's where you start to go, well, maybe he's talking about false teachers. You've got this deceiving, this smooth talking. It, it, could that be the same group of people? Could it be that Paul is trying to bring a more encompassing view of all the different people who are causing divisions? You know, all of those are possible, but we know that there are some who do that. But notice... When, when false teachers come, it's really easy to get rid of the false teachers who are loud. I mean, it's not easy, but you know what I'm saying? The people who come and they're like, I'm going to destroy you. It's like, okay, well, that means I, I can spend some time to create my defense and create an alliance of people, and we all can sort of be careful and go away from the place that they're attacking. And, you know, uh, you can either be the the army who's hiding in the woods and who's going to ambush you, or you can be the army who all marches in red coats along in a straight line and everybody sees them from far away. Who are the people who are causing these problems? Smooth talk. Yeah, baby. Right? Am I right? I mean, it's, it's smooth talk. It's, it's, here's what it is. Has God really said that you'll, you know, die? Has he really said? You know what? God just, oh, he just doesn't want you to, to know what he knows. He just doesn't, he's trying to keep something from you. Look how beautiful the fruit looks. Oh, it's, it's going to be delicious. Take a bite. Enjoy. Smooth talk smooth. Some of the most dangerous people in a local church are the ones who talk the smoothest. The ones who always are tickling your ears. The ones who are always saying something and, and boy, they're just so encouraging and I just, I feel good when I'm around them. They never have a negative word to say. Oh, Some of the most dangerous people in the world are the people that all of us are saying, boy, they just, they just never say a word against anything. Is that really what we need? Are people who just never say a negative word? 
I got some people in this church who some of you would say you've never heard a negative word. I'll tell you right now, I've heard a negative word, and they have been incredibly helpful to me, to my soul, to my, to, to my life, where they have said certain things that just needed to be said, but they do it smartly, they do it wisely, they do it lovingly. By smooth talk and flattery, just... You know what it's like to have somebody just, they flatter you until the point where you're kind of blushing, and then all of a sudden they've got you. Oh, you're hooked, right? Oh, here we go. I got them, and now I'm going to just reel them in. Just keep smooth talking. Come on into the boat. There's lots of great stuff in the boat. You're going to come on the boat, and you, I mean, you've been in this water all this time. It's just so wet. Imagine how great it's going to be in the boat. It's going to be this, it's a whole new world. Yeah, it's called becoming a filet, right? That's what happens in the boat. They're taking pictures of you with great big smiles on their faces because they've hooked you. So how do they cause these divisions? How do they create these obstacles? Smooth talk and flattery. We are talking about this with our kids this week. We were reading about Paul's thorn in the flesh and how he prayed for it to go away and it stayed in his... God's power is made perfect in weakness. We were talking to our kids about this because of Molly and stuff, and we're like, you know what? God doesn't have to answer our prayers for healing. He does not. He can, and we're praying that he does. And, and we have people, somebody emailed me this morning the prayer list from their church. Uh, there's, a, there's a church, I can't remember where it is. I want to say it's Texas, which means God won't hear it, but still, there's a church that has Molly on the prayer list. Uh, come on now. Just, everybody knows Texas is bad, right? This isn't a, whatever. I love Texas. It's my favorite other country. Um, uh, <clears throat> it's just so stinking hot. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's so hot and just, oh. Austin's cool. Okay? I'm all for Austin. Anyway, sorry. Um, my uh, Texas tree, anti There, there are churches that are, that are praying for Molly and, and put them on the prayer list, and I guarantee you this morning they're praying for healing and for comfort and for relief. And we had to sit down with our kids this week and say, it may be pain and pain and pain, and no matter how much you pray, God says, no, because my power is made perfect in weakness. One of the worst things God can do for you is just simply make you okay. Just make you okay so that you're complacent. Sometimes God shakes you up by not answering your prayer for healing, but by providing you power in the weakness, not away from the weakness. Both of them are from God, the healing and the non-healing. They're all very intentional by God. So don't discount one or the other. I got an email from a friend, a seminary friend um, from Texas, um, a guy that uh, I probably use as a negative example in the past because he used to throw things at us when we worked together at night. Uh, <laughs> used to, we used to take, you know, shrink wrap. We worked with the sh in the loading dock. So I had all these, you know, the big tubes of shrink wrap that you used to wrap up pallets, right? Some of you have worked in places where you have that kind of stuff. And so we would, when we got our work done early, we would take this shrink wrap and we'd create balls out of them. And if you pack those things tight enough, you know how well they cling together? You pack them tight enough and they're like rocks. And so we'd kind of lob them at each other, and this friend would whip them at your face. And uh, fortunately, I never got hit with one because I was like a ninja, right? 
cat-like speed and reflexes. Um, uh, but uh, we, we always kind of made fun of this guy because he, like, we were always kind of being funny, like throwing him at them, and then he would be like, wow! Like, okay, that's just not how you play. He sent me an email after he heard about some of Molly's stuff and was talking about his wife and how his wife, her, her stomach her, just stopped digesting. Just stopped. And they got all these different misdiagnoses over time, and they just could never figure out what was wrong. And they wanted to take her stomach out and connect her esophagus with her small intestine and just bypass her stomach and just hope that, you know, you can get enough nutrients that way, but it's by continually eating nutrient-rich things, and it's bad for you, right? It's not good to live that way. Um, and uh, she was actually at the point where they were telling him to get hospice for her and that she was going to die. She was at like 93 pounds, I want to say, and she's not a short girl, uh, as I remember her. And, and so he wrote me this long email and just talked about how one day she was doing a Bible study and God just said, believe me. And she went and made lunch and ate it. And she could hear all the gurgling sounds that you're supposed to make as you're digesting food. And she has just been fine ever since. After years, after being told she was going to die. And this is not a friend who's just going to give me some kooky story. And, you know, this is, this is my staunch theologically sound. I read everything Jonathan Edwards has written. He wrote his dissertation on Jonathan Edwards and has his PhD and, and you know, he's got all this stuff and um, he tells us a beautiful story of God's healing and we rejoice and we believe that God can and might do that for my wife and we absolutely understand that he may not. And so trying to remember exactly how I got all the way there from where we were. There are those, there are those who are saying, you'll be well, and you'll be healthy, and you'll have enough money, and everything will be fine if you just believe, and all your problems will go away. And you'll get to enjoy all the prosperity of God. You get to enjoy every, if you just believe, if you just say it, if you just proclaim it, then everything is going to be good. And that, my friends, is false teaching. It is smooth talk and flattery that is there to deceive the hearts of the naive. And I don't say that to shame anybody, I say that to say, believe in the gospel, the true gospel that creates a dead savior. And it creates dead saints. It does. All the apostles but one martyred. Many of the disciples, early disciples, martyred. Many disciples over 2,000 years, martyred. Many more maimed, many more suffering without healing, without escape from their enemies. God is not calling you to that kind of peace yet. <coughs> one day, full peace. Have I gone through one verse here? Oh my goodness. Um, one day, do I do this every week and then act like it's a surprise? I'm like Taylor Swift at an award show, you know? It's like, oh, did I really win again? Like, <laughs> nobody got that. Anybody get that reference at all? Okay, whatever. 
Let's just go to verse 19. If that's not enough on the first two verses, I don't know what's going to be enough for you. Here we go. For your obedience is known to all. Roman church's obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So he's giving kind of a general statement here about this is, we, we know, we know that you're growing. We know that you're learning. We know that you're growing wise. We know about your obedience and there is rejoicing, but I want you, and then he's saying there's more to learn here. I want you to be wise as it is as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil, meaning as much as we know of your obedience, there's still area to grow, plenty of area to grow. So he's saying that's why I'm telling you these things and the people to avoid and the problems that they cause. And then he says once again something that sounds like he's done and then he's not done. The God of peace the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Where do we see Satan crushed under feet before? Chapter and verse, anybody? Genesis 3, anybody know the verse? 15. Genesis 3.15 is the promise to whom? You have Eve and a seed or an offspring through the line of Eve will do what to Satan? Crush the head of the serpent, right? Now, what does this say? And, and please notice this. This was just a, a wonderful thing. As I'm studying this uh, in order to preach to you, uh, it is a beautiful thing. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. Whose feet are going to crush the head of Satan in Genesis 3.15? The seed of Eve, who is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. And then what, when we usually say, is Satan's head crushed, right? Isn't Jesus coming at the cross? He crushes the head of Satan. That's the way we talk about it. You watch the Passion of the Christ. I think that's actually like they put that scene in there, the stomping. Am I, am I right? God, I haven't seen it in so long. Um, I preach it. I need to watch Mel Gibson's version. But the, the point is, you know, smashing of, of the head of the snake or the serpent. But here it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is soon, it has not happened. Is Satan still alive and active in the world? Yeah. Has Jesus crushed his head? Yes. Sure. At the cross. Satan, is he... Is he Still fighting? Yes, but is he already defeated? Yes. Okay, this is, this is just biblical theology now, right? We're, we're getting it together. Now, this says God will crush Satan, the head of Satan, but through your feet. The church, the people of God, the family of Christ. What is the church also called? Bride is one way. What else? Body of? We are the body of Christ. It is not just Christ's foot that crushes the head of Satan, but he creates by his death the creation of his own body. And Satan's head is not just crushed by Jesus himself, but the church as 
Jesus himself. When the church goes into the world with the gospel, who's going into the world with the gospel? Jesus. We have the spirit of Christ in us. And so as Jesus was given the spirit, we're given the spirit, and now we go doing the same work that he has done. Matter of fact, Jesus says, you're going to go do even more amazing things. Then Jesus? More amazing things. Satan's head is still going to be crushed. It's being crushed by the church. There's something wrong with the church when it doesn't believe it has the power through God to crush the head of Satan. For too many of us, he's winning. Whether we say he's winning or not, we're acting as if he's winning. But we are the ones that God uses. We are the seed of Eve as the church. The church is the body of Christ. See that in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, other places. We are the instrument of God to crush the head of Satan. And so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace wins. Grace wins. Satan's crushed. Grace wins. Satan's crushed. The power of God is in us by his spirit. If you have his spirit, you have the power of God to crush the head of Satan. How do you do it? How do I do it? How do we do it? This is not about you individually. It's about us. How do we do it? Go back to Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 16. If you have the English Standard Version of the Bible, let's read it out loud. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, This is the power of God. It is the power of God to have the gospel. It is the power of God. What did we say before? The sword is in Scripture. It is the Word. It is the Scripture. If you want to go on the offensive in the world with a sword of the Spirit that goes into the world, it penetrates. It penetrates down into your soul in order to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of men and women in order to bring the conviction of God that they may repent of their sins and believe in Christ. Who has the power to do that? Why? Why do we have that power? We can say because God gave it, right? But why? What do we have that gives us what? A gospel to preach. If you are feeling like you're living a powerless, Christless, spiritless life, <clears throat> it is because you are not wielding the sword. You want to feel powerful? Stand in front of somebody with a sword. You immediately become the person who with one movement ends their life. I'm not actually telling you to go do this. Okay, don't get me wrong. <coughs> Spend the rest of your life getting to know better and better the gospel. The whole letter to the Roman church, knowing the gospel and the implications of the gospel. Get to know the gospel. Share the gospel. Tell the gospel. Scatter it like seed everywhere you go. 
when you find yourself failing to have told someone when you had the opportunity, repent and then go and tell the next person. You want to have power, the kind of power God wants you to have and you should desire that kind of power. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the gospel of God. It is powerful. It is the only power. How many names under heaven can men be saved by? One. There is one name by which people can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. And so we go speaking Jesus. If you go speaking God, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. They're not going to get the gospel. People in the world don't need God. They need Jesus. Because otherwise they're going to have a false God. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Timothy, walking with Paul, you know, he's, he's one of the missionaries with him. And so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and my kinsmen. Um, and, and you can go and I can give you passages for where these guys are in Scripture, but you can look those up on your own. Um, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. It's, it freaks people out, especially young Christians, when they read this and go, I thought this was, but pastor's been preaching for 40 weeks on how this is from Paul, but this is Tertius wrote the letter. It's, it's called dictation, right? Paul is having him do the writing as Paul is, you know, just probably walking around and acting all, uh, you know, Oxfordian or something. I don't know. Um, pipe in hand. Tertius, the next thing I want to say. It's not quite like that, okay? But he's, he's, he's someone who's writing for Paul. He's writing it for Paul, okay? Probably because he has better handwriting than Paul. Because brilliant people have terrible handwriting. Okay, come read my notes. I'm brilliant. Okay. Um, <laughs> I should be a doctor, but I'm not smart enough. But my handwriting imitates one. I play one in my handwriting. Gaius, verse 23, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer. You can, you can go today. You can go today. And, and there's, uh, I, I wrote it down in my notes because I, I thought it was interesting. Not, not super important, but interesting. Um, it, the, the scholars have, have uh, the archaeologists and stuff have found there is a, uh, a pavement near the Corinthian theater that reads this quote, Erastus, in return for his ship, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it, it, it means that he is the city treasurer in charge of finances in some fashion. Uh, this is the position that he has. So in return for that laid at his own expense. So this is someone who had this position of, the, of the financial oversight of some uh, sort, treasure, and so he laid the pavement at his own expense, and then it's, that thing is put there in order to show that's why it's there. It's like, it's like having a building and having a kind of a dedication on the front or whoever you know, built it or whoever donated the whatever. Um, it, it's the common way things um, were often done to show that they were actually serving the community, I guess, right? To show that they're giving of their own expense and in thankfulness and gratefulness for the position that they have been granted by the city uh, and the people. So there's some, there's some of these greetings there. And then he goes to this and, and we'll close with these last few verses. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, to him, okay? Now, this is doxology. There's greeting that we've seen before. We've seen, some, we've seen the greeting part of this passage, but now there's this doxology part. There's the ending. This is, this is where Paul says, this is what I want to ring in your ears. Here we go. And we'll finish quickly. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul, are you ever going to do something? We finish this sentence. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'll, I'll just say this, and I know we're overdue here. He is able to strengthen how? According to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. When we use the word mystery, what do we usually mean? Is it something that we know? When we say mystery, it's something that we don't know or we can't know. We'll talk about mystery as it's, why did that happen? I don't know. It's a mystery. Right? And then what do we want? We, we, we have an entire genre of books written about solving mysteries. Matter of fact, really, all books are mysteries in some sense. You're always trying to figure out exactly where it's going, who, who does what, what happens at the end. So it, to create that sense of mystery is a part of what we're about as humans. But the, the revelation of the mystery is what Paul says. In other words, when he says mystery here, he's saying it was a mystery that now has been revealed. It was something that was not known that has now been made known. It has been kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings, been made known to all nations. Isn't that exactly where Jesus goes? He's making known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel goes to all nations. The wisdom of God goes to all nations. That information goes to all nations. It goes to all nations. It goes to everyone in the world. It goes to every people group, every color, every language group, all people around the world. Why does it go there? To bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. What is the obedience of faith? There's there's obedience. When we say obedience, what are we saying we're obeying? In some form, law. In some form. When my children obey me, it's because I've told them to do something and they've done it. That's obedience. What is the obedience of faith? It is the obedience that comes because the faith is already there. It is the obedience that comes because the faith is already there, not to create the faith, to somehow be accepted and so that faith will be given to us. The obedience comes as the result of faith. It is the obedience of faith that comes. It has been revealed through the prophets. It is the mystery from long ages past. And specifically, it is known, going back to the beginning, it is the gospel It is the gospel that we preach and is the gospel that strengthens. And because it is the gospel that does all these amazing things, we say at the end, Paul says at the end, to the only wise God, the wise God who could take all of our sin, all of our problems, the image of God that is broken in us. We are cracked icons of God. And the the crackedness God doesn't just fill in to imitate. Like the windshield gets cracked and they put that stuff that imitates that it's actually not cracked. Is it still cracked? still cracked. It's just filled in the crack. But God actually creates it so that it's if it's brand new. He does that to us. That can only happen from a wise God who's chosen to love the unlovable, who's come to save, who should be unsaved, is come to give those who do not deserve it the love and forgiveness, the relationship that we do not deserve. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. 
we give him glory and praise and we worship and we sing and we pray and we preach and we go and we share with everyone because we have one wise God and the world doesn't know him. What are we doing? If we have one more potluck without going and telling our neighbors about Christ instead, if that's what we have to do in order to make us all active in proclaiming the gospel, if we need to shut everything down so you can feel, stop feeling like you're satisfied with enough busyness and church activity, if we've got to shut it all down in order to get us out on the mission, we'll do it. I don't care if you fire me. We'll shut it all down. There are people who need to know and we're not showing up. We're not ready. We're not longing. We're not wanting. It's, it's, it's a hobby that we're thinking about one day. It's something that seems like will be good when I, when I eventually have heard enough sermons or read enough books or done enough something. Knock it off. You know everything you need to know to go and to give the gospel. The basic gospel that can absolutely change someone from the inside out. It can revolutionize. The, it, it, it can absolutely just change them completely. It can change their relationships. It can change their marriages, the way that they parent their kids. I, I, I spend all of my time consumed with what's wrong with everybody, not with what can make them right. And so do you. What is wrong with us? We have a God who deserves all worship and glory and praise because of what he has done to give you strength. And it's all about the gospel. And if you have it, you have that strength. Go and use it. We're, we're a bunch of people who've been given the muscles of God and we're couch potatoes. Let's go. It's been, it's been almost 40 weeks talking about the gospel how many of you in the last 40 weeks have shared that gospel don't raise your hands how many of you have told somebody about this jesus don't don't sit in your guilt be stirred up to activity for god's glory and through his strength and let the world know this jesus the one who has saved us the one who loves us. If you, if you don't, if that doesn't sound familiar to you, you need to be saved. Would you repent of your sins and believe in Christ today? You do that. You trust in him with all your heart. You don't have to wait for some special time to do it. The special time is the minute you feel the conviction in your heart. Repent of your sins, trust in Christ. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Father, Easter is not coming in a couple weeks. It is here. It has been here for 2,000 years. What a great God you are. That you have not just had your son crucified on Good Friday, but raised him from the dead. And God, we don't go merely because he died, but because he has risen. And we have such a great hope that we go into the world knowing that no matter what we suffer, and even our own death for the sake of the gospel, we will spend eternity with you. And these light momentary afflictions are nothing in comparison to what is to come. 
be glorified through this people. Send us out. Remind us again that we are missionaries. Give us great courage and strength. Help us to know the gospel well that we preach. Help us to bring more into the family of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, I love you guys.